You are listening to the Calvard Catechism Podcast, where we seek to defend doctrine, dispel deception, and develop disciples. We hope you enjoy today's episode. This is part two of the gospel, where Travis and I have the opportunity really to worship through an episode. We had a lot of fun recording this, but we love talking about the gospel more than any other subject because this is the foundation of our faith. This is what informs everything else that we're going to even talk about on this podcast. So we pray that this is as much a blessing to you hearing it as it was to us recording it. And as always, we thank you for listening to the podcast. We would be humbled if you would share it with your friends, if you would give us a rating and review wherever you're listening to this podcast on. And as always, we are praying for you all and hope hoping that this continues to be a blessing. And so without taking up any more of your time, here is part two of the gospel. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for listening as always. My name is Kenny with my co-host, Travis. How's it going? I'm doing super swell, friend. Super swell, friend. Super swell. Those are the kind of responses you get if you ever ask Travis how he's doing, by the way. (laughs) So this is episode number two, but this is part two of last episode. Yes. Where we started diving into the brisket. The brisket. Of the Christian faith, the gospel. Mm. And last time we talked about the holiness of God and our sinfulness before a holy God. We dove into the fact that apart from the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in and of ourselves, we are born into sin. We are sinners by nature. Paul says, we'll read in just a minute, we're children of wrath, deserving of condemnation in hell for all of eternity because of our sin before a holy God. God would be perfectly just and righteous in doing so. Mm. And that's kind of where we ended. It is. It is. Um, once again, I gotta say, um, that wasn't my decision. So, so whoever whoever is listening and was like, "My goodness gracious, I can't believe they left us with the with that level of cliffhanger." Hey, Kenny, Kenny's fault. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna blame Travis. Um, <laughs> well, that's a lie because we have a timer that we're trying to stick to here, and so um, that is this just the reality of doing a podcast. Sometimes you got you got to try <laughs> to stick to the timer. So I blame Travis for being long winded. <laughs> That's funny. So here's why we want to start this today. As we move into part two, we are going to talk about the good news of the gospel. So there will be, um, this is meant to uh, bring light and encouragement and 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 joy and faith. Um, but there, there also will be heavy parts of this as well because of the gravity of the good news of the gospel. But mm-hmm. we want to rejoice in the gospel. That that probably is the primary purpose of this episode is to rejoice in the good news of the gospel. And if you're not rejoicing in it, we want to lead you to that, right? We want you to repent from whatever sin you may be entangled in to turn back to the joy of your salvation in the gospel. Right. We we just we really want to uh, express that the gospel is like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. This is how I typically try to explain it to people. Okay, meaning that there are elements that go into the sandwich. You can't have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without the peanut butter, without the jelly, and without the bread. So why these two parts of this uh, podcast episode? Why, why why are we formatting it like this? Is because the gospel in order to explicitly teach it and to explain it is you have to explain every component of it. And the bad news is the peanut butter and the good news is the jelly. 
You can't have the gospel without the law and grace. Both of them are absolutely required and their necessities in order for you to indulge in the PB&J. Indulge in the gospel. That's a good one. We'll, we'll have a sermon with that title at some point. Oh, cool. So let's let's dive into Ephesians 2. We read a part of Ephesians 2 last time, and now we're going to read verses 1 through 10, and I'm just going to read through this passage to show you the contrast of the bad news to the good news, and then we'll dive into our discussion. Mm-hmm. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Here it is. Uh-oh. But God, yeah. being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, mm. even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Here it is. By grace, you have been saved. Amen. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, yes. so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, Mm. created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Amen. And that concludes part two of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing more we can add. That is, that's rich right there. That's good stuff. Um, and so we want to we wanted you to sit with the sinfulness of man and the bad news so that now we can rejoice in the good news. And so there is a verse that has come to mind uh, that came to your mind, Travis, and you brought it up to me. And I thought it was so good for us to talk about today as we think about if God is so gracious, as we've just read, mm. why doesn't he just overlook our sin? Why doesn't he just move past it and just forgive everybody in the gospel? Why do we need this faith and repentance that we're going to talk about in a little bit? And and I think that's what this verse really gets at in Proverbs 17, right? Right, right. So there are a couple things that briefly you got to, you got to think about and ponder when you listen to what Kenny just said. So a common question you're going to get um, is why didn't God just save us all? Mm Mm-hmm. And if God was so, if God is so loving, right, how can there be a hell? Mm-hmm. Is that not a question that you, you all hear often when having conversations, having gospel-centered conversations? Because they say, you know, if God's so loving, how could the people who, uh, who live in Africa and the tribes in Africa, how could they die and go to hell? How, how could I? And, and, and they make a very telling statement. I would never serve a God like that. Yep. Yep. So... We have to always go back to part one. If you haven't heard part one, by the way, of our gospel presentation, uh, go ahead and track back and listen to that because this is not going to make as much sense without listening to that first. Because if you don't understand how holy and perfect God is and how sinful we are, you're not going to you're not going to grasp that you know the only deserving uh, result, the only deserving. Um, condemnation that that should be poured out on to everybody is hell. 
-hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we're asking the wrong question. Not how could a loving God send people to hell, but how could a holy God Mm -hmm. forgive anybody? So to Kenny's point, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15. This is fascinating. Proverbs 17, verse 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Hmm. Now, please focus on this for a second. And uh, and we're going to walk through some steps logically. Listen to this again and think about it. He who justifies the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. So, wait a second, wait a second, wait, wait a second. We have just read this amazingly rich text in Ephesians 2 that says we were wicked children of Satan, dead in our sins, deserving of hell, and then that God forgave us. Mm-hmm. So, did he not justify the wicked? Mm. He did. He did. He has. He has justified the wicked. How is it then that, it, well, is God an abomination? By no means, let that let those words never honestly pass from your lips. This is a paradox. Mm-hmm. This is the paradox. How is it that a good, loving judge actually justify the wicked? Think about it in your real life. Just for a second. Everybody, just 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 think on the example here. If you were at home, let's say you live with your parents, let's say you have children, let's say you have a spouse, whatever it may be, or maybe you live alone, you have a best friend. Whatever it may be, your loved one, the the person that you are closest to in your life, gets brutally murdered. They get they. I mean, I'm just talking about things that we, we we're not even going to dive into. Stuff that happens in real life. People, somebody just brutally murders your spouse or your loved one, and then that person gets caught red-handed. They confess. There's video. Like they are just done in the water. And then they go before the judge and they're standing before the judge completely guilty and condemned. And they say, judge, I did it, but I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sorry. I apologize to you, judge. What if the judge were to look at that person and say, all right, you're forgiven mm-hmm. and let him go? How would you handle that? You would say, This is a bad judge. This is a horrible judge. How could somebody do that? How could somebody like, no, no, this is bad. You it's wrong. It's an abomination to justify the wicked like that. All the judge did was sweep the sin under the rug. You can't do that. And God, perfect in holiness, cannot do that either. It's actually an abomination to him, and he hates that. This is the paradox of forgiveness. God cannot just overlook your sin. God cannot just sweep your sin under the rug. Your sin is still on you. Your sin, listen to that, is still on you if it didn't go anywhere else. Where did the sin go? Kidding. The sin has been, here's a theological word. We the sin has been or was rather imputed to Christ, and we have had the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. Mm. So when people talk about Jesus taking our sin, it literally means the Corinthians talks about the fact that he became sin who knew no sin. Yes. And so when God 
when Jesus was crucified on the cross, not only did he physically take the suffering of the cross, but the worst suffering he endured was the wrath of Mm. the Father being poured out on him that we deserved for our sin. And so he took, he literally took our place of condemnation and judgment and wrath that we deserved. And so the reason God can then forgive us is because our sin has already been paid for. Yes. Payment has already been made yes. for our sin by Jesus Christ, the Son of God who became man, who took on our sin, who then gives us in turn his righteousness, which is why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, yes. if anyone is in Christ, meaning you've placed your faith in Christ, you've repented from your sin, you are in Christ positionally, God sees you as in Christ. If you are in Christ, he is a new creation. Mm. The old, the sin, has passed away. Behold, the new, the righteousness of Christ has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us, made us right to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them because he counted them against Christ Mm. and entrusting to us then the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we have been redeemed, we have been forgiven, and therefore we are also ambassadors <laughs> for Christ. Come on. God making his appeal through us. It's what we're doing in this podcast, right? We are yeah. appealing. God is appealing through us to you to believe in the gospel. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Mm. Payment has been made. The gospel is finished, Jesus said. It has been done. There's nothing for you to do. There's nothing you can do, and there's nothing for you to do because Jesus has done it all. Be reconciled to God for our sake. This, we've referenced this already. He made him to be sin who knew no sin mm. so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is how God can forgive sinners because God himself, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, became a man and took our sin and the wrath we deserved so that we could be forgiven. Wow. That is such amazing news. You made a couple of references during the dur- during the verses and what we're talking about about wrath. Mm. Wrath is another one of those sticky words. Yeah. We keep using that phrase. It just means Bible word. You know, what does that mean? Mm. What does it mean that God uh, had wrath towards Everybody towards like we have sinned against the holy God and therefore he's wrathful and we deserve his wrath. Well, well, think about this for a second is anger. That's what I want everybody at home to think about this question, because this is another thing people get tripped up on. Right. Well, how could a holy, perfect, loving God be wrathful and angry? And how could there be judgment involved? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, have you ever is there is there a scenario where somebody could be uh, justifiably and rightfully angry. Yep. You described one earlier. If somebody uh, commits any kind of evil, let alone murder, any kind of evil against one of my loved ones, mm. I'm going to be angry in that. Right. Now, I can sin in yes. my anger, but my anger in and of itself is not sin because there is a righteous anger that you can have. Right. There's an unrighteous anger for sure, but there is a righteous anger that God has towards sin. Right, right, exactly. So, 
So what I talked about very, 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 very briefly in the last episode is I come from a field of law enforcement and, and my previous field that I held, I was a, I was a special victims unit detective. That is a very specific field where evil happens in sexual crimes and it's dark. And I can tell you what, I've read cases where I've said it, 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 it's, it's created in me just like this righteous indignation that says this is wrong. Yeah. This is evil. This should not be happening. Because, and, but because we live in a sinful world, hmm. right, it does. So this is what goes on when you hear a judge look at a, a, a child rapist, for example, and mm-hmm. say, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. I hate that. Mm-hmm. It's okay to say, I hate evil. Yep. So this is why it's, it's justifiable for God mm-hmm. to want to pour out his anger, meaning wrath, onto everybody who has ever broken his law and sinned against him. Yep. And this question of how could God have wrath against sin is honestly primarily a question that Western uh, people ask, right? Mm. A lot of Eastern cultures, because of the genocide that they see, because of the evil that they see on a daily basis, that we're not confronted with as personally as they are, their question is how could God forgive anybody? How could God let them these evil people who have destroyed my village, who have killed everybody, who's killed everybody I know, who's selling our children into sexual slavery. Mm. How could God let them go clean? How would they then be allowed to be in heaven? That's a great point. And so honestly, it's really a, a partly a cultural thing while we ask this question, because quite frankly, we're not confronted as often with the pure evil that's in the world as some other people are. Mm. Um, and I think we're in a little bubble in some ways that we forget that. And so um, God is, as we've, we've, we've said, we've seen already today, God is perfectly righteous in his anger towards sin and sinners. And when he pours out his wrath on sinners, we are deserving of that. But the good news is that mm. we don't have to receive his wrath. We don't. This is, this is why it's called amazing grace. This is why it's mm. called indescribable. Because when you really think about it, there are no words to describe how unbelievable it is that God would do this. He doesn't have to. He's perfectly righteous in condemning us for all of eternity in his wrath and pouring it out on us. But instead, Jesus took that wrath for us and he became our sin when he had committed no sin. Amen. And he was pierced for our transgressions, Isaiah 53. He was crushed for our iniquities, and it pleased the Lord to crush him, Isaiah says, because of our sin. And he was placing on his son our sin so that he could forgive us and welcome us in. He could redeem us all for his glory and praise and honor. Wow. Amen. So this leads us to the very next logical step, which you brought up earlier, because he took our sins. Imagine him taking, like, imagine a giant burden and weight on your back and and Christ literally taking it off of you and putting it on himself, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Well, in that taking it off, there's also a swap. Mm -hmm. Christ takes something off of himself as well and puts it onto us mm-hmm. right and this is what uh, uh, theologians have called you know uh, substitutionary atonement mm-hmm. right and and what we are going to coin and talk about as the great exchange 
This is the great news, okay? So imagine you are a uh, student like I was in the fifth grade, and you got horrible grades, and you just didn't care because you'd rather hang out with your friends, and my grades were terrible because I didn't give a rip, right? Um, but then what if one day report card time came and homeboy, you know, really smart kid in the class comes up to me and says, yo, let's trade. I'm going to take your bad grades and I'm going to give you my good grades. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to look at him and be like, I didn't do anything. I didn't yeah. do any of the work. I didn't put anything in. I deserve what I get, which yeah. if you know my mom is going to be death. Like, I, I would, like that would be horrible. Um, but And he's like, no, I'll take that for you. Yep. I'll take that punishment. I'll take that. And I'll give you my perfect grades. Yep. Well, this is what substitutionary atonement means in that Christ took our sins yep. and we received his righteousness. I think a lot of Christians, more so, they'll take that illustration and how they would describe it is they would say, what Christ did is he took all of my F's away. Mm. But that's only a part of it. Right. You just described the fullness. He didn't just take all of our F's away. Right. He gave us his an A's. A. <laughs> he gave us his A, and it for. can never be taken away. Amen. No matter how poorly we perform, mm. it can never be taken away. Amen. Now. So it's not just like, even in that illustration, the next year, if, as you repeat the fifth grade, um, <laughs> you, you how may, did you know? <laughs> you may get F's again. But that doesn't happen with us when we're in Christ. We're seen as having the righteousness of Christ, which is what leads us. Because, men, we can go off on tangents for a long time. We're trying to keep on going here so that we can finish today, Travis. So this leads us to Philippians 3. leads us to a lot of places, but this is one that has come to mind where Paul said, in light of the gospel, Mm -hmm. and this is a guy who tried to earn righteousness through the law. This is a guy who was a Pharisee. He had it all together by outwardly standards. He was so zealous for God that he was killing Christians. He wasn't doing that because he thought he was evil. He was, but he thought he was righteous in doing these things. He was pursuing after God. Mm. He said, indeed, Philippians 3, 8 through 9, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish Mm. in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Here it is. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The only way we are considered as righteous is because of Christ. It's not our righteousness. It's his. There's that song, and I, and I may butcher the lyrics here. It's, it's um, um, the, the hymn that says, when I stand before the throne, I'm going to be dressed in his righteousness alone. Amen. That's my confidence when I stand before God. When God says, what have you done? It's not about what I have done. It's about what Christ did and his righteousness that was imputed to me. Um, and to you if you are in Christ. That is what we rejoice in. And that's what leads Paul to say, nothing else matters. This is what I stand on. My righteousness means nothing. Everything that I've ever gained in my life is rubbish. And I'm not allowed to repeat the English equivalent for that word on this podcast, I don't think. (laughs) And what Paul is saying in the Greek, it's a strong word. He's saying it is rubbish. It is refuse. It is is to be thrown away. Hmm. So... I want to be, I I want everybody right now to think about something. I want this to be real and I want you all to just pause and listen for a minute, okay? Hmm. 
I don't care if you're driving, you're sipping your coffee, you're folding laundry, whatever you're doing right now, please tune in. Because so many things that we're, we're talking about and we're reading, we're reading these scriptures, you're like, well, I've heard them before. Okay? I, I get that. I understand that. But this is everything. Hmm. If you miss this, you literally miss eternal life. Hmm. That is how serious this is. So this is what I want you to think about. In, in the book of Isaiah, in the Old Testament, it says that, that our own righteousness, our own works that we perform, the things that we do that try and please God on our own strength mm-hmm. is counted as nothing. It's compared to, get this, get this, get this, to filthy rags. Mm. It's compared to filthy rags. I won't even do my dishes with a filthy rag. Yeah. And they're already dirty. Yeah. Our good works are counted as absolutely nothing. So let me ask you something right now. You, you, you who are listening to this, are you, is your righteousness, is your standing before a holy God in your own heart, is it being based off of your own works? Or is it being based off of the work that was already completed on the finished work of, of Christ on the cross? Hmm. Are you trying to earn your own salvation? Or are you trusting in the righteousness and the blood of Christ to wash you clean of all of your sins? The question I used to ask people when I would do evangelism in the streets is, if you stood before God today and he asked you, and I don't necessarily think this is the question he's going to ask, but for the, the purpose of the conversation, I would say, if you stood before God and he asked you, Travis, why should I let you into heaven? Mm. What are you going to say? Most people, when I ask that question, they would say, well, I'm, I'm hoping that I, I did a good job. I'm hoping that my right. good works are more than my bad, and that's yep. a common answer. Yep. But even Christians, I think, uh, proclaimed Christians would look at God and go, well, man, God, I, I went to church, and I really tried to obey what you said, and, and I, I, you know, I, I walked the aisle at the age of six, and, mm. and I, I, I did all these things. If that's your answer, your, tr- your trust is in the wrong place. Yes. In all of those examples, your trust is in yourself and your own righteousness and works. Your only answer, my only answer is you, I don't deserve to be let in. However, I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. He stands in my place as my substitute. You poured out his wrath on him instead of me, and I undeservingly, by your grace and mercy, have his righteousness. And that's where I stand. That's our response, right? Nothing to do with us or what I have done. It's only by the finished work of Christ. Popular phrase is religion often says, false religion, I would add, says do. Do this and live. Mm. But the gospel says done. Jesus has done it. Repent and believe. Now, before we get to what we do, because I think that's going to be a fantastic way to conclude things. Yep. We're going to talk briefly about Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is a really, really um, powerful section of Scripture. Mm. It's uh, when Jesus was on the Sermon on the Mount. He was in the midst. He was actually concluding the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. And this is how he concluded it. Mm-hmm. Okay? So if, if, if sometimes you're listening to a sermon and you're like, wow, that guy, yeah, he, he, he ended a little like tough, like, wow, he really hit home. Go read Matthew chapter 7 and read how Christ ended his most famous discourse sermon. Yeah. Pretty powerful stuff. And what did he say? He said, many are going to come before me on that final day. 
okay? The final day, briefly, what is it? It's at the end of the world. It's when everything's done. It's when you're dead and you're standing before the holy throne of God. You're going to be standing there and you're going to have to give an account for everything that you've ever done. The stewardship, uh, uh, the responsibilities that the Lord has given you to take care of and to manage well, you're going to have to give an account to them all, okay? And you're going to have to talk to God Almighty about that while he's sitting on his fiery, flaming throne. Okay? That's powerful. And when you're doing that, you're going to have to give an account of everything. And, and there are going to be people. This is it. There are going to be people who are going to be standing before that throne. Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 23. They're going to say, did I not do? Lord, Lord, did I not do many great things in your name? Didn't I do? Look, there literally, there's going to be people who take out their resume and say, I'm a good person. Look at the things that I've done. I did well. I deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. And, and, and God Almighty, the Holy One, is going to look at some of these people and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, don't think the no there means intellectual. He's sovereign, right? He's omniscient. He knows everything. Mm-hmm. He knows who you are, but he does not intimately know you. He has not saved you. And there are going to be people who are in my, in my fear, in my thoughts, and, and, and in the world. It's just reality. Maybe somebody listening right now who is self-deceived and thinks, I know the Lord. Well, James says even the demons know and believe and shudder. It doesn't matter if you know him. Everybody knows him. Does he know you? And I'm begging you right now. Listen, evaluate your heart. Ask yourself, do you know the gospel? Or do you love his commandments? Do you love his commandments? Or are you in love with the world? Do you love the things of this world? What are you doing behind closed doors? Are you on the computer? Are you watching pornography? Are you doing things that you shouldn't be doing out late at night? Are you drinking too much? What are you doing that you should not be doing? And do you love those things or do you hate them? Mm-hmm. Do you hate them? Do you want to never do them again? Do you love the Word of God? Do you want to just pour out your everything into the Word, into your, in your life? Yes, I'm saying you sin and we struggle, right? We sin and we struggle. I'm not saying it's perfection. It's not perfection. It's not perfection. You can't be perfect. But do you love Christ? And does he know you? Hmm. I'm begging you, consider and evaluate your life. Because those people who said, did we not do many great things? He, they, he said, depart from me. I never knew you. And they were thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity for the wrath of God to be poured out on them. That's why I love what First John 2 says, yeah. and this just came to mind as you were talking. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Yes. But, but. if anyone does sin, mm. we will, by the way, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate with the Father. We have somebody who took our place who took this sin. So here's the thing. I want to, I as we start to wrap this up, and we may go a few minutes over. I hope you can bear with us. It's okay, because this is too good. Mm. All of this 
to the person who has not tasted of the grace of Jesus sounds like heavy, bad news. Because what you're thinking about is, oh man, I don't measure up. Oh man, I'm not that good. And you're, you're asking something of me that I can't do. And you're just, you're being legalistic with this. And you're, you're, you're preaching a gospel message that's just too heavy to bear because I am, I do mess up. I do sin. There's no way I can be the kind of person that you're saying I need to be. And maybe I will be the person that says, Lord, Lord. And he says, depart from me. Mm. Listen, the invitation yes. that God gives yes. is come to the water, <laughs> all who are thirsty. Amen. Come and find water and milk without price. Yes. Without price. Mm. Why? Because it's already been paid for. Amen. That's why this is good news. If you don't, if you never tasted of the fountain of life in Jesus Christ, then of course this is going to feel like condemnation because in your sins, apart from Christ, you are condemned. But the good news is he calls us out of our sin to repentance, to faith in him. And he says, I've already paid for it. Come and be with me and dwell with me and abide with me. Yes. So that I don't say to you, depart from me. So that I do know you and you know me. Mm. And so, yeah, we want to give a warning for you to truly assess your life. Do you really trust in the gospel? But we want you to know it's not meant to lead you to this conviction and grief that just drives you into sorrow. Mm. It's conviction and grief that drives you to repentance, which leads to, Peter says in Acts, times of refreshing and joy from the Lord. That is good news. That is what we're trying to share because that's what we stand on. That's what we strive to stand on daily and preach to ourselves every single day. So so at the end of this two-part message, at the end of all of this, there's a lot here. Mm. There's so much to chew on. And what you have to hear right now, and maybe you're asking, maybe you're wondering deep down, what do I do now? What do I do? And we're going to tell you, this is the invitation, if you will. The word, why we use that word is this is, this is what you, if you want to be saved, if you're saying I'm not saved, hmm. or maybe you are saved, but you know that you're in sin right now. Hmm. This is what you have to do. There's no other answer. There's no other way unto salvation. Nobody can get to the Father, but through the Son, He is the door. He's the only way. He's the light. He's the truth. That's it. What do we do? We have to repent. Luke chapter 13, verse 3. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Hmm. Repent is another Bible word. Repentance is a very simple term. It's an old military term, which means to stop doing what you're doing if you're a military law enforcement about-faced. Okay? Turn the other direction. Okay? Stop doing what you're doing. Turn in the other direction. Walk in the other direction. And here's a key component. Please listen to me. It's confess. Mm-hmm. To confess means to look up to God. I want you to tilt your eyes up to the heavens, and I want you to confess. I want you to admit that you're wrong. Talk specifics. Yes, you don't have to. Maybe you forget some. There's no loopholes in the gospel, okay? Mm-hmm. You confess. You look up to God. You agree with him that you're wrong, that you've sinned, that you deserve hell, okay? Agree with him on his condemnation on you. Okay, so confess, admit that you're wrong, and then admit that he's right, Hmm. that he's perfect, 
that he's holy, that he truly did live. He truly did walk on this uh, earth as a sinless, perfect sacrifice. He truly did go to the cross. He truly did die the death that we deserve and take on the sins of his chosen people and that he died a physical death, that he rose again from the grave physically in a real way three days later and that he showed himself off to people and then that he ascended. He actually went back up to heaven. He's there now and he's coming back again. Jesus Christ will come back soon for his people, for his glory. Hmm. We have to repent and agree with him. We have to stop our sins. We have to repent. Hmm. Amen. Um, what joy that comes from that repentance. Wow. And you got to go through the grief of your sin. Yes. You know, uh, this may be a, a poor illustration but I'll use a real-life example to maybe show just that we're, we're uh, some real people going through some real struggles. Travis has me on a uh, carnivore diet right now. <laughs> and um, I think about the fact that all of the stuff that I've been eating and indulging myself in for a long time, I've literally had to cut out of my life and turn away from it and mm-hmm. turn to this new uh, this new diet, these new foods that I'm eating instead of all the junk that I used to fill my body with, then it's a real intentional decision. And it was a one-time decision in that I needed to make the decision to, to do this, but then it's a daily decision. It's actually moment by moment because every time I want a donut, <laughs> I hear Travis' voice in my ear. <laughs> That's but, a terrifying voice to hear in your ear. That may be a terrible illustration, but I'm trying to get you to see that repentance is that one time, that first repentance where you acknowledge your sin before a holy God, you confess and you place your faith in Christ. But it's also daily. It's repenting of my sin daily and saying, God, once again, I'm coming to the cross and I'm remembering your sacrifice and I'm trusting in it. And I am standing on the promise of your forgiveness. Yes, we are called to repent of our sins and then to place our faith on Christ. Mm -hmm. So the word faith, yet another church word, it just simply means trust. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. It means that you need right now to take the trust that you have placed on yourself, okay, that you can earn your own way into heaven. Maybe you think you're a good person. Nobody's good. No, not one. Take the goodness and the trust that you think that you have in yourself. Take the trust off of yourself. Take the trust off of your spouse. Okay? Take the trust off of your children. They're not your saviors. Okay? All of them are going to be idols that lead you to damnation. Take the trust off of yourself and take that trust and faith and place it onto the Savior, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you place your faith in Him. You live in Him. You abide in Him. You love his commandments. You want to keep his commandments. First John chapter 2, verses 24 through 25 say, Let what you have heard from the beginning, uh, being the gospel, the word of God, let what you have heard from the beginning, the gospel, abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, which means lives in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And, and this is the promise. This is it, okay? This is it. This is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. Eternal life. We have eternal life if we repent of our sins and place our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you can't tell, this fires us up. Yes. 
and we could go on forever. Such good news. But we've already gone late, and I have some people waiting on me for lunch, and I like lunch. <laughs> um, but seriously, uh, all jokes aside, we wanted to end with a powerful passage of Scripture. Yes. Um, and I'm going to read this, and we're going to say amen and be done. Um, the invitation is to believe in the gospel, pl- repent and believe, place your faith in Christ if you've never done that. The invitation for the Christian is assess your life. Have you developed a love for the world that you need to repent of and turn back to Jesus? Mm. And the invitation finally for the Christian as well is preach this to yourself every day. Rejoice in it every day, just as Psalm 103 says. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, Mm. and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, Mm. who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Yes. Amen. Until next time, this has been the Calford Catechism. We're going to be back next Monday with another topic for you. We'll let you sit in suspense waiting for that. (laughs) Would you please listen and share um, and give us a review and rating so that more people can see this. Our hope is to get the message of the good news of Jesus out. Our hope is to encourage his church. Um, So we would be humbled if you would take the opportunity to do that. God bless you all, and we hope that you will listen in again next week. Love you guys.